Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Did I do it again? <laughs> Good morning. Uh, to begin my uh, have asked Leanna Mormon to read her response to the prompt. Uh, what is a day in life like? Describe for us your typical day. Leanna, take it away. Good morning. I'm Leanna. Hello. Okay. <laughs> This morning, I will be telling you about a day in my life. A day in my life hmm, starts around 7.50. Here's the catch. I leave at 8. But it's okay. 10 minutes is all you need for the necessities. So my dad, leave in, my dad and I leave around 8. And on the way to school, we pick up two of my friends. Um, I get to school, and I have about a good 40 minutes to do whatever I want, which maybe I'll go to tutorials, which is... If I need help with anything, I go to my teacher, or I just hang on the band hall and try not to get in trouble. So, school starts at 9.05. We should push that back. Um, <laughs> on A days, those are mm -mm, my dreaded days. I have algebra, Spanish, band, and chem. Don't get me started on chem. So, and on my B days, I have history, English, band, and choir. Those are, those are pretty fun. So when school ends, I'd say it ends at 4.20. I usually hang out for an extra 40 minutes because my friend will take me home. And I hang out in the band hall. And when I get home, I'd say my first place I go to is the kitchen. And after the kitchen, I feel like I know I don't want anything, but my question is the question that all parents hate, what's for dinner? Um, I usually get an I don't know, figure it out. But after that, I tend to go sit and watch some shows with my brother or I do homework. And by the time that's over, it's dinner time. After dinner, I will either do the same thing or just do nothing and then I go to bed. That's a day in my life. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. That uh, wise theologian and biblical scholar, Albus Dumbledore, once said, youth cannot know how age thinks and feels, but old men are guilty if they forget what it is to be young. Youth cannot know how age thinks and feels, but old men are guilty if they forget what it is to be young. For those of you who are adults, have you forgotten what it is to be young? You walked through middle school and high school hallways. You once drove a car for the first time by yourself. You once watched elections play out without 
being able to vote. You were once 12, 14, 17. You were once those ages. But have you forgotten what it is to be those ages? Have you forgotten what it is to be young? Once again, good morning. My name is Michael Waldrop. Uh, if you were a guest this morning, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, thank you for having the courage to come into a new room with a lot of new people. I hope that this morning you feel at home. Well, uh, for all of you this morning, uh, as you already know, uh, this morning is a student-led worship. Uh, and uh, while I have been mistaken as a teenager at times, I am not actually a teenager. I, I uh, am the student minister here at the Round Rock Church of Christ, uh, which if you're unfamiliar with that language, uh, it just means that I work closely with our 6th through 12th graders, some of whom you have seen up here this morning. Uh, and before I go any further this morning, I just want to take a second to brag on them. Because I regularly find myself just shaking my head at how talented and gifted they are. I hate to break it to you folks, uh, but they are already smarter, funnier, more creative, uh, and certainly better looking than the rest of us. <laughs> Don't tell them I told you that, though. It'll like go to their heads. In short, uh, I count myself honored uh, to be able to call myself their student minister. Well, this morning, uh, for those of us who are no longer a student, for those of us who are no longer a 6th through 12th grader, I want to help all of us, maybe at least a little, remember what it is like to be a 6th through 12th grader. Uh, and it's for that reason that I chose to begin my sermon by having a couple of our students uh, share about their lives in the hopes that we might be able to look through their eyes just a little bit and remember what it is like. You've already heard from Leanna this morning, uh, but I would like for us to hear from a second student, uh, Micah Godfrey. Um, Micah, uh, I, I've, I've asked Micah uh, to paint us a picture of what uh, one of his classes is like right before that class begins. So, Micah? Whenever you're ready, sir, take it away. Sure. <laughs> it's like the giving tree poem. Hello. There we go. Hello, I'm Micah Godfrey, and I will be painting a picture of my uh, weekday mornings. Uh, I think my mornings are pretty normal before school. I'll wake up and then get dressed, uh, scarf down whatever breakfast I find first. Uh, I'll grab my backpack and then I'll start walking to school. Luckily, my school is right inside of my neighborhood, so I can just listen to whatever music I want and uh, jam out to oldies, pop, lo-fi, or whatever. When I get to school, I go to my first period language arts class and I wait for my friends. I typically get to school early, uh, so it takes 10 to 15 minutes. For others to come in. While I wait with a few other early bird students, I notice things. The teacher is sitting at her desk and she's trying to look awake, but she's in desperate need of more coffee. <laughs> As students come into the classroom, the volume jumps quickly. 
People are laughing, yelling, having deep conversations about what they thought they were wearing versus what they were wearing. Having, uh, while others sound music of video games emanate from their phones. There's a group of guys sitting in the back of class watching one of them play a game on his computer. Another group is quietly gossiping or reading, a third group joking loudly. Some students skip breakfast and are either complaining about it or eating an enormous amount of snacks. Everyone is tired and it shows. You're either extremely interactive or don't want to talk to anyone. As people wake up and the start of school nears, the energy in the room naturally goes down. The last jokes are made, the last video game level is passed, and the last page is turned. The bell rings, the announcements come on over the PA system, and the day begins. Micah, thank you. Leanna, thank you. Uh, thank you both for embodying, oh, thank you for, yes, thank you for the, the lectern back, I appreciate that. Um, thank you both for embodying uh, one of the, this church's core behaviors of being genuine. Yes, um, let's show our appreciation for them. Thank you. <laughs> you just stole my lectern, man. <clears throat> so, for those of you who are adults, do you remember being a teenager? More specifically, do you remember what it was like to be an 8th or ninth grader? You were probably between 13 and 15 years old, somewhere right in there. For the next minute or two, I really want you to try to think back to 8th or ninth grade. I want you to try your best to pull your memory back to those years of your life. I'm going to read a series of questions that I hope uh, is helpful in you remembering what those years uh, of your life were like. You're welcome to shut your eyes if that helps. Uh, but either way, reach back and do your, be do your best to see and hear and smell and taste and feel what eighth and ninth grade were like. You ready? Here we go. First question. Who were your teachers in eighth and ninth grade? Who were your friends? Who did you have a crush on? What house did you live in and how was your relationship with your parents? What did you believe about the world? And who was God to you then? What were your hopes, your plans, your dreams for life? What or who were you afraid of?
And then finally, what did an ordinary moment for you as an 8th or ninth grader look like? Where might you have been? What might you have been doing? What do you see in your mind's eye? I'm going to leave about 30 seconds for this last question for you to just reach back into your memory and try and remember as best you can uh, what an ordinary moment for you then would have looked like. So go ahead, take 30 seconds. The moment that comes to mind with me, for me, uh, is sitting in my eighth grade uh, geometry class, Mr. McClendon's class. I'm sitting next to my friend Will Dake, uh, and we are using our school-issued laptops uh, to watch the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament uh, when we should have been paying attention in math class. Uh, students, don't do that. Learn, learn the lesson. Uh, but that's my moment. Thank you for engaging uh, that little exercise with me. I think it will be helpful in hearing our scripture passage for this morning in a fresh way. And the reason I say that is because in Jesus' day, it was common for girls ages 13 through 15 to become engaged. Something like, eighth or ninth grade for us today. May that knowledge inform how you hear the passage that Brooklyn Tips is about to read for us. Brooklyn, you can go ahead and come up. This passage comes middle of an ordinary day of life for an ordinary teen. Much like the ordinary moments that Leanna and Micah shared with us, or the ordinary moment that you maybe just called to your memory from your past. It's into the middle of all of that ordinary that a teenager experiences this. Brooklyn, take it away. Today I will be reading from Luke 1, 26 to 38. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was most perplexed by these words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child can be born holy, and he will become the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing will ever be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her.
Am I on? Yeah, there we go. It is extremely likely that when the angel Gabriel showed up in front of Mary, she was a teenager. In fact, of the three scholars that I read uh, about this passage, the oldest age that was suggested for Mary, that was put forward as an option, was 15 years old. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind a little bit. In fact, all three of these scholars uh, agreed that the most likely age for Mary was either 12 or 13 years old when this moment happens, because that was uh, the typical age at which uh, girls in first century Israel would become engaged. And so Mary, this 12 to 15-year-old, exhibits incredible submission to God's will. I, I just have to imagine that this moment blew open all of Mary's expectations for her life. Right? Like, I, I can't know Mary's expectations for life for certain, right? But there's no way that she could have imagined this, what Brooklyn just read. Right? <laughs> I can't imagine that when she looked towards her future, what she imagined was getting pregnant before she was married. And having to carry with her all of the social pressure and speculation and gossip that that situation brought with it. And then on top of that, add on to that the responsibility of being the mother of the Messiah, that is the returning king of Israel. I mean, sure, like on the one hand, like what a privilege, what an honor. But on the other hand, like what a pressure. I can't help but wonder if Mary had hoped for a simpler life, you know, to be like a typical first century Jewish suburban mom bringing orange slices and Capri Suns to her kids' soccer practices or whatever the like first century Palestine equivalent of that would be. And yet, with all of that pressure, with all of her expectations just being blown out of the water, Mary says yes to God's wish for her life. And it is for this reason that Mary threatens me. Mary threatens me because she challenges me to be open, open to God upsetting my expectations. She threatens me because I'm tempted to try to hold faithfulness to God in one hand and all of my plans for my life in my other hand. I want to have my cake and eat it too, right? I want to be faithful to God, but I want to do so in in the way that least threatens what I had planned for my life. I I want to be faithful to God as long as I still get everything that I want. And yet, here is Mary, this teenager, or or younger than a teenager, calling us to take hold of faithfulness to God with both hands. Calling us to trust that through that faithfulness, God will lead us to better things than we could have ever expected or hoped for, even if they're hard. Here is Mary calling us, to, like her, respond to God and have the courage to say, let it be with me according to your word. Mary's example is a challenge both 
to those of you who are students and to those of us who are adults. So first, students. When God comes to you, whether that is in the form of an angel like for Mary, or whether that is in the form of a book or a prayer or a sermon or a song, whether God comes to you in a moment at school with your friends or through the wise counsel of a mentor, when God comes to you and asks something of you that breaks with your expectations, how will you respond? Will you say, God, I, I am too young for this. I am not good enough for this. God, if I do this, my friends are going to think that's really weird. Or simply, God, that, that's not in my plan. Sorry. Or will you say with your fellow teenager Mary, God, let it be with me according to your word. In short, students, will you be open to God rewriting your expectations? Second, adults. Let's uh, come full circle and hear from Dumbledore once more because can never get enough Dumbledore. Age is foolish and forgetful when it underestimates youth. Age is foolish and forgetful when it underestimates youth. The Apostle Paul implies something very similar when in 1 Timothy, he's writing to his mentee, Timothy. He says, he says this, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, in, in my opinion, to be honest, this verse has come, become a little bit of a cliche to us, right? We put this on mugs and on t-shirts. But I have to ask the question, like, do we, do we live like this is real? Adults, do we look down on students? Or do we allow ourselves to think that Students, that teenagers might have something, have wisdom, have perspective, have experience that we can learn from. My worry is this. My worry, adults, is that we have a tendency to trivialize the perspectives and abilities of our students. My worry is that we have a tendency to trivialize, to belittle the perspectives or abilities of our students. And, and I need to just like go ahead and own that like that's me sometimes. Like, like I fall into that here and there. It happens. But teens, I, I suspect that you are aware of this tendency, right? Like we can, we adults can write you off so easily, you know, saying something like, oh, you know, teenagers, you know, like, I mean, gosh, they're just a bundle of irrational hormones. Like, their prefrontal cortexes, like, aren't even fully formed yet. Like, I mean, like, what, what can we learn from that? You know, their prefrontal cortexes, right? I mean, how can, how can we adults, like, how could they have something to teach us? Us, you know, perfected models of brilliance and rationality and self-control. We, we never, now that our prefrontal cortexes are formed, we never slip into irrationality or 
lose self-control, right? I exaggerate only to make the point. I'm not saying that being a teenager is not a developmental stage. I'm not saying that those of us who have been through adolescence don't have wisdom that we can share for those who are presently in adolescence, right? But I am saying that adolescents have unique wisdom to share with us. And not despite their stage in life, but because of that very stage in life. And not only do they have wisdom to share with us, they can very well be a model of character for us, as Paul was encouraging Timothy to be, and as Mary, the mother of Jesus, should be for all of us. Adults, don't you remember? Don't you remember being 12 or 13 or 17 and just being annoyed, being frustrated when adults wrote you off? Well, age is foolish and forgetful when it underestimates youth. So fellow adults, will we be open to being challenged by our students? Will we, will we be open to God rewriting our expectations for our, for our sixth through twelfth graders? Would you all pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thank you for all ages in this church. I thank you for the unique perspectives and gifts we have to share with one another. Would you give us humility and insight so that we might receive from one another? And would you give us the courage to be open to you rewriting our expectations, whatever those may be? Amen. At this time, uh, I'm going to invite up one of uh, the student ministry deacons, John Kay, uh, for, for our blessing.